0: So, just to quickly recap, we're going to go over just a really brief overview, airline view, like Tyler's getting right now. Chapter 1, Paul wasted no time getting to the point of his letter to the Galatians. You are being deceived, and I can't believe how easy it was for these people to come in and deceive you. Don't you remember my testimony? That was grace, Chapter 2, the first main point was the independence of Paul from being taught by any of the other disciples or apostles. Either Paul really did get the gospel from Jesus, or he just has some really good intuition. Then we get into the second half of Galatians. It's what I call the halftime pep talk. This is the let's get super excited, let's get ready, let's get encouraged. Justification by faith, mainly found in verse 16 of chapter 2. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Those are famous words you probably have memorized. And then there's these, I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Those are some really thoughtful words that we could... Stand to dwell on tonight. But we're going to move on to chapter three of Galatians, where Paul starts off really strong, Oh, foolish Galatians. And if you were here on Sunday night when Dewan had that passage, he said, Dear idiots, which I just like that. And then Paul goes on a little rant about Abraham and about the law and about the promise, how Abraham. The father of the law was actually the father of faith. And now that faith has come, that changes everything. Amen? Amen. Now, we are sons and daughters of God. Let's tie this into chapter 4, where we have an amazing assurance that through Jesus living, dying, rising, and ascending to heaven, Not only are we sons and daughters of God, but we are co-heirs with Christ. And I would love to go over that part of the message again, but we just don't have time tonight. The promise that Jesus gave us that we are not only his brothers and sisters, but that we are going to rule and reign with him in heaven. Man, I don't want any other religion. Amen? Amen. Then we kind of get a serious shift in this pretty aggressive letter to the Galatians, into a reminiscent Paul. And he was remembering how it was when he was there ministering to them, this is verses eight through 20 of chapter three, how the Galatian church was just baby believers. And it really is worth reading again on your own time, how Paul was just so reminiscent. You guys were so on fire for Jesus. And that's why he was writing this letter is because I can't believe you guys were so on fire for Jesus and so on fire for him that you were so easily deceived into going back into the law that the Israelites had and they couldn't do it. What makes you think that as a Gentile, you need to go and do this? And then lastly, he'll go back into the same story in Genesis that we all know and love to teach to our little kids, but he focuses on two supporting characters, Sarah and Hagar. The promised child versus the child of the flesh. The child of the slave woman versus the child of the free woman. The law versus grace is what he's really trying to bring out here. And I just wanted to take the time tonight to remind us of that journey that we've taken to get to this point in the letter it's really important it's a reminder of what paul is writing about who he's writing it to and why and i really hope that those of you who have been able to join us on sunday nights have really been enjoying it i've been really enjoying studying all of these but we'll pick up with the last verse of chapter four to launch us into tonight's passage The very last thing that Paul said was, So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We get so much from just that verse itself. And with it being directly in that context to the conversation that everyone in that day and even in today's world still knows about, the conflict of Isaac and Ishmael, the Jews versus the Muslim nation, the Islamic nation. The firstborn from a slave woman versus the firstborn of the promised child from Sarah. Paul's audience would have taken back to that history. They would have remembered how they got to where they were. And from the promise given to Abraham, the journey he took to get there, their at-last moment of entering into the Promised Land, all this is in the Pentateuch. We've been going through this as well on Wednesday nights with Tyler. How many times in the Promised Land they took for granted the blessings that God gave ended up following after idols, but then they would repent and come back. We find that in the prophets over and over. And then we get the exiles and God redeeming them, bringing them back into the promised land. We saw that quite recently, actually. But go back and refresh on your own life. How many times have you submitted to a yoke of slavery? How many times have you slid back into the sins that you have been redeemed from? How many times have you slid back to those same things that often distract you from the Lord? How many times has God brought you back? How many times have you been exiled and felt all alone like you're on an island and you cried out to God and he heard you? The promised land is still one of the most hostile areas in the world, if not the most. And it's certainly one of the longest lasting feuds in existence. And it can really be easy to say that Paul was stroking an ego here in verse one, where he says, we are the children of the free woman. He's not, by the way. And this is really where context comes into play. He's in fact calling them out. You're free. Don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. And by the way, the Galatians are Gentiles. So he's not even writing this letter to Israelites, people that were actually under the law. He's talking to people that are Gentiles, people that are like you and me. Not very many of us in this room are are Jewish. And Paul is saying, don't let the Jews bully you into following after the law, submitting unto the law that they could not do themselves. And this is really even more insulting than we give it credit to, because this is not only a sly to the people that are in the room, the Gentile Galatians, but he's also calling out the Israelites that followed Moses in the wilderness, their ancestors, who said to Moses, Take us back to Egypt. We were better off there under slavery. We at least had food. (laughs) How missing the point can you get there? Paul says, don't let them do that to you guys. Not you guys too. Stand firm in the grace of our Lord Jesus. Be faithful. Be steadfast. Focus. All right. Faith in Jesus is what matters. Nothing else. All these things that you're trying to do, trying to take things into your own hands, none of that counts for anything. Yes, we're going to get rewards in heaven, but faith in Jesus is the only thing that matters. Amen? And Paul is really saying, and he's really calling out, you don't actually want to go back. Nobody in here who has been saved out of your life of sin, whether that was a sin that even worldly people are jailed for or not. You do not want to live that way again, right? And neither did the Israelites, really. They didn't actually want to go back to slavery. They just wanted food. They were complaining and pouting and whining like a little kid. They were in the presence of the Shekinah glory, of God. And sometimes we can forget that is going on in the story based on you know what they're complaining about. I'm hungry, I'm tired, I'm thirsty, I want a break. <laughs> There's a literal tornado of the spirit of God that's just pff, F4 tornado. <laughs> and at night, that tornado's on fire. <laughs> are you are you getting how childish they're being? I'm hungry, I'm tired, while there's a gigantic tornado two minutes away. What do we do when there's a tornado? We go into our basement, right? Or we go over to our friend's house who has a basement. (laughs) And of course, the Israelites are not actually sincere, because when the Lord provides them manna every single day, by the way, and then when they complain and they want meat, he gives them quail until it's coming out of their nose, is what it says in the Greek, by the way. They didn't actually want to go back to Egypt and be making bricks to build pyramids. Yeah. But they had lost focus on where they were. But you and I, we never lose focus of where we are, do we? Oh, absolutely not. No, I'm t- completely focused on the Lord and I, I never get distracted by I need more money to pay my bills. That's never happened to me. Paul says, not you guys. And don't even entertain those thoughts. Let's move on to verses 2 through 4. Paul says, look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Those are some chilling words from a man who was persecuting the church himself not that long ago when he was writing this. Those are some chilling words. You have fallen away from grace. Christ will be of no advantage to you. Does that make you want to go back to the law? I certainly hope not. Paul is giving a huge warning sign right here in the letter. It can almost have flashing lights on it. He's giving as much attention to this point as possible. He wants you to refocus and to hear this point, if nothing else. So what does it look like For us today, what does it look like to accept circumcision? Because circumcision is not as big a deal in our culture in America. Most doctors today practice and perform the procedure for health purposes anyways. So accepting circumcision today might look a lot like legalism, just in general. I have to make it to church every Sunday. And if I'm sick, I better be there anyways. Because if I don't, I'm going to lose my salvation. I've got to keep my Bible streak going. I'm at 1,234 days in a row. I'm absolutely not losing that, or else I'm going to hell. I have to pray out loud before every meal in the cafeteria, standing up with my hands up high so that everybody can see me. And that sounds a little silly, right? But can't we do that in our own lives? Can't we convince ourselves, I need to do fill in the blank. You probably are thinking about it right now. Give yourself some grace, Christian. Because legalism is dangerous. Because what happens when that kind of person begins to disciple the next generation? It's no secret. People know a show when they see one. And this is why we're seeing certain denominations get old and die out. Because if you see somebody being fake with their relationship with Jesus, and by the way, I said relationship with Jesus, not religion with Christianity, they can identify that. And in our culture today, does anybody want anything that's not 100% authentic? No, absolutely not. Don't be fake, Christian. Anything other than the gospel by itself will not last the test of time. On Sunday, we went through about 100 heresies that I wasn't able to recognize because they died out. And it was 10 years ago. The gospel has lasted 2,000 years. That alone should let you know that the gospel is enough, Christian. And because we know this, we can devote ourselves to our relationship with Jesus alone. In the culture of the day, this was not as common. This was a Jewish distinction between the Israelites and the Gentiles. This is a much bigger deal to the audience that he's writing to than we can initially realize the fact of circumcision. But have you noticed that sin often takes a subtle approach at the very beginning in order to entice you? And it leads you along for just a little while until it rips the rug out from underneath of you and you realize you're on a slippery slope and the only way to go is down. By having these Gentiles accepting circumcision, the Judaizers are setting them on a path that they would have to accept the rest of the law. It's just a fancy lure that the hook is hiding behind. How do we identify a lure versus a regular uh, fish? How are we able to identify a counterfeit? We went over this weeks and weeks ago. The illustration of a dollar bill. You don't identify the counterfeits by studying all the different ways it can be different. You study the actual dollar bill, and its authenticity. You study the feel. You study how it looks. You hold it up to the light to see the watermarks. You don't go and study the seven billion ways that you can counterfeit a dollar bill. You would be wasting your time. You only focus on the real deal. The law will do nothing for you as a Christian. You're only going to add to the burden that you have. If you take on one part of the law, you have to take on everything. Not just what your hobby horse is, not just keeping the sabbath. James chapter 2 verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one is guilty of breaking them all. And then shortly after, James chapter 2 verse 13. Judgment is without mercy to one who shows no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Going back to Galatians 5, verse 3 repeats the same idea that we've been talking about in case you missed it the first time. If you accept this part of the law, you have to keep the whole thing. Paul knew that God was not joking around when he was talking about the law, God meant what he said when he gave the law to the Israelites. It was their one way to make themselves right with the Lord. And he was just to do that. And the law was exactly the same as we understand it today. If you break the law, there are consequences. Tickets, jail, fines, restrictions, suspensions. I could go on and on. But God's law was different in one way. There was always a way to make yourself right with him. The sacrifices If you weren't here for the Leviticus studies, I encourage you, go to the um, library that we have and go listen to them online. But the sacrifices we learned about at length going through the Old Testament. And these sacrifices were meant to jar us to the core and to be ashamed and disgusted at the amount of blood and death that was required of our sinful nature. Look at how many sacrifices were required for sin in the nation of Israel. And there were five types of sacrifices that you'll remember from Leviticus. Not going to get too far into this, but it's important to remember what these Gentile Christians are signing up for. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, and the trespass offering. And we all know what the most expensive sacrifice was, the priceless blood of Jesus that was spilled on our behalf at the cross at Calvary. Jesus fulfilled the only sacrifice that is needed for you as a Christian. Can I say that again? Jesus fulfilled the only sacrifice that you as a Christian on this side of the cross need in order to enter into the grace of heaven. Moving on, verse 3 really spills again into verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. You can only choose one path in life. Have you noticed that? You cannot serve two masters. Jesus gave us that sage wisdom thousands of years ago, and it still rings true today. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot obey the law and also claim grace. The two ideas are foreign to one another. The law is unforgiving. It's strict. It's absolute. It's black and white. If you sin, you need to make a sacrifice. And a sacrifice means blood. There's no room for gray area in this. With grace, there is absolutely, maybe not a gray area, it's maybe more of a red area, the blood of Jesus is what we can claim instead. Grace is liberating, is it not? When you make a mistake and you can come right back, your path is not past redeeming, Christian. And your path is not past redeeming, sinner. As foreign as this may sound, saying that my path is past redeeming is false, uh, is, uh, false humility saying that I am past the grace of Jesus Christ, you're actually diminishing the work that Jesus did. Jesus' work is complete. That's why he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. When something is finished, you don't need to keep going. The runner at the end of a race often collapses. They don't keep going after you cross the finish line. Why would you? You've completed race. Do we remember what Paul said? I run this race so that I can win the prize. And Paul is really describing the attitude of service. And when you're serving the law, you're falling away from grace. That imagery of making a choice between the two is drawing out the attitude of pride. I can do this. Of course I can do this it's me. You need to give that up and allow Jesus to really show off his grace for you. When we get up to heaven, the only thing that we're going to be able to say in the presence of the Lord is, I claim the blood of Jesus because I am insufficient. If you say anything else, got nothing for you. Grab your torches. If you're acting as though you are the master of your own fate, you're assuming the position of God Himself. And as we all know, there can only be one God. God knew that the law would be an impossible standard for us, even as He gave it to the people of Israel. The point of the law was always to bring us to dependence on Him, not on ourselves. And when Paul talks about the justification here, it's a sharp contrast to grace through faith. That is a much more apparent in the Greek. And don't worry, I'm not gonna try to pronounce it. I'm gonna leave that to Tyler. But the meaning is to exclude the other idea. In other words, the Greek in here is saying that since this idea exists, this other idea cannot exist. In other words, Just erase it completely. Don't even let the thought enter into your mind. Are you kind of getting the picture there? You cannot have both grace and the law. Justification is all of grace by faith through Jesus. Full stop, no additional statements. All we need is the grace of Jesus. And on that final day, there's not going to be anything else that we're going to say. Verses five through six, moving on. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. In verse five, we just got an awesome eschatological phrase eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. And that is such a deep phrase that we can stand to use in our conversations with fellow believers more often, much more than we can talk about the Super Bowl. And there are a bunch of interpretations. I'm only gonna give you guys the one that I tend to lean towards. And that's meaning that the hope or hoped for things stand for life, salvation, and glory all being related to justification elsewhere in Paul's writings. I wish I had more time to go through all the other interpretations, and you can ask me about them later. But whatever view you use, the main point ought to remain the same. Through the Spirit, by faith, eagerly waiting for the hope of the promises that God gave to us. Therefore, if your view does not allow for an eagerness... You may not be looking through the right lens and more than that we're being given this hope by grace through faith so there's no question that the law is not how we receive this because if you know the rules and you broke them and you're hoping to receive something you're deceiving yourself but if you're only depending on grace which by the way means a freely given gift then you can receive something you didn't earn Paul then confirms further in verse six at the end where he says, it doesn't matter if you follow the law or you don't, circumcision, uncircumcision, whatever. It doesn't matter when it comes to Jesus. The only thing that matters is faith through love. And I love that thought because probably had, Paul probably had the Gentile Christians going, amen, right? Yeah, you get those people that are trying to circumcise everybody, you get them, Paul amen amen and then they go huh you mean not being circumcised doesn't give me an advantage either so which one do i do doesn't matter love jesus that's the only thing you can do paul here at the very end is kind of giving us a wink where he could really basically sum up all of chapters three and four works law no faith in jesus And now remember what James said, faith without works is dead. The three things that we can apply to our lives from this passage, and I tried to make every point memorable just for you, not for my own benefit. Living under the law is lame. (laughs) You put an extra burden on yourself and you don't get extra credit. So why put more work on yourself that Jesus liberated you from. Remember why Jesus came. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Not for the law, I have set you free. To live in all of this, I got to walk left, right, left, right. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, Christian, live in liberty. Enjoy your life. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 29 And then skipping to verse 31. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Do you think the writer of Hebrews had something to say there about people trying to live by the law. When we deny the work of Christ, not only are we trampling underfoot the work that Jesus did for us on the cross, we're also taking an extra burden on ourselves, acting as if we can do a better job than Jesus. Are you guys hearing that now? Oh no, Jesus, this perfect guy that lived a sinless life, I can can do this. What? The second point that we can apply to our lives is that grace is great. Grace gives us hope and things to look forward to and allows us to remember all the times that God came through for us in the past. Nothing like the world. What do you have to look forward to? Bills. Come on, man. Haven't I paid you enough, Uncle Sam? The world will disappoint you at every turn. Have you noticed how many protests there are? Have you noticed how many protests there are after that protest? We changed it. We need to change it back. When we finally allow ourselves to truly lean on the grace of God, we can look back at all the times that we've seen God show up in our lives. In times... Places and situations that we deserved nothing but scorn, even from regular people, let alone God, right? I mean, how many people have sinned that need to go to jail for what they've done, and yet the grace of God has liberated you from the responsibility? Imagine if everyone knew everything that you've ever done in your life. Do you think that person would talk to you? And yet, God says, come into my house. Come, you are my son and you are my daughter. I love you, Christian. That is the love song that God sang to us on the cross. I love you so much. The definition of grace is receiving something you did not earn. And that's the only way that we can ever be seen in the presence of God as righteous. The wages of sin is death. All it takes is one sin, and you're done. What do we deserve? Death and hell. (laughs) Amen, Steve. (laughs) Instead, what we get is the greatest gift of all time. Jesus' blood and righteousness Admitted before the Father as our own when we put our faith and trust in Him. What do we learn from that? All I need is the blood of the Lamb that takes away the sin of the earth. The third point is that love liberates your life. When you're able to go through your life, Loving the people around you rather than trying to fix everyone. You don't have to work as hard. And you don't have to maintain your own salvation when you mess up. Do you hear it, Christian? Legalism is not going to save you. Jesus is the only one that can. Neither following the law or not gives you any advantage over another brother. Jesus didn't make friends with everyone, did he? He called out the religious hypocrites. Why are we so easily deceived into believing that we can follow this set of rules and this time they'll work? You're deceiving yourself, Christian. I think what we really need tonight is a redefined image of what love is to really get us closer to the picture that Jesus painted for us on the cross with his blood. What is love? Choosing the highest good for another, regardless of the outcome for yourself. Isn't that exactly what we saw on the cross? Selflessness. First Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Love is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And the challenge I've always remembered is to see how far you can go with that list and honestly placing your name in place of love. Is Zach patient and kind? Is Zach not envious or boastful? Is he not arrogant or rude? And some days I can get pretty far. Oh, dang it. I only got as far as boastful. And grace gets to come in and say, you're forgiven. Rise up and walk. Try again. Do better. So let's really apply this to our life. Let's get some steps How can we live like this? Worship team, you can make your way up. You can, first of all, remember whose testimony has impacted your life and whose testimony you are impacting. Paul received the testimony of Jesus from Jesus himself. The second thing that we can take is that justification is by faith, not by works. I have been crucified with Christ. And I live differently now because of that. Third thing is that faith changes everything. We found that with Abraham. That's old covenant. How much more now that we're in the New Testament side? Fourth thing, Jesus has already lived, died, rose from the dead, and ascended to heaven. The work is finished, Christian. There is nothing else that you need to do in order to make yourself right with God. You can't. You've already sinned. Sorry. You need the blood of Jesus or nothing. Fourth or fifth, I lost my count. We're freed from our past. Sin, your failure, your mistakes, you're free from it, Christian. Don't go back, I implore you. We were freed so that we can live in the liberty of grace through faith in Jesus. Let's try to make every day better than the last.